Hey church, Pastor Adam here, and I want to say thank you so much for stopping by to join us for Church Online today. And, and while we are super stoked that you're hanging out with us this morning, we do want to remind you that really this is just is supplemental. And man, it just cannot replace the local church in your life. And so look, we hope that you are encouraged and, and challenged and shaped by today's message that's being preached. Uh, but, but also, we don't want to be uh, your substitute. Uh, for the local church body that you should be involved in. We really do believe that the local church is God's plan A in reaching the world. So with that being said, please come hang out with us in person uh, one Sunday. If you're in Paducah in the area, come hang out with us to get some rest or find a local Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching church that you can get plugged in and connected to. Uh, Jesus loves the church and and we love Jesus and, and we believe that we can better serve uh, Jesus, if we love his church well. So, welcome to rest. Check, check, check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was hoping some of our golf players um, would show up today. Um, they normally all sit in this section together. Um, they're pretty avid golfers. But none of them are there. Uh, but how many of you have ever played on a best ball golf team? You played in a scramble, and you had somebody who is really good on your team. All right, in case you've never played golf before, I'm going to give you the, the, the premise of how best ball works. You're on a team, typically anywhere between three to five people. That three to five people, the way it works is each person gets to hit the ball. They all hit the same shot, but one of the balls is the best ball that's closest to the pin or lies in the best spot. And so you play that particular ball. And so, essentially, if you are garbage, which I am at golf, and then you play with somebody who is absolutely phenomenal at golf, like, for example, Austin is supposed to be, like, crazy good at golf. Every shot that Austin would shoot means I shoot it, right? And so, like, when you walk into the clubhouse, you know, after you play best ball, it's not uncommon for you to have a game where you've had, like, 12, 15, 17, under par, like crazy good. And you're like, I would hope so. You had five shots, each shot. You know, so, so you walk into the clubhouse, and you're walking in like a baller, if you're like me and you're terrible at golf. You walk in, and you're like, ha, 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 we just shot a 12 under. And everybody knows, if they know you or you know me, they're probably like, you didn't shoot anything, dude. You got out there and you swung an iron, and that's about all you did. But it's so much fun, and what's cool is, is that their credit, their score is your score. What's cool about that analogy is that when it comes to our faith, we got Jesus on our team, and his righteousness is credited to us as our righteousness. I want you to think through that. See, because just like Adam's sin was credited against us and we're born into sin, when we surrender to Jesus, when we confess Jesus is Lord, His righteousness is credited to us. How many of you are glad you're shooting definitely 18 under par today? Yeah. Yeah, with Jesus, man, we're eagle every time, bro. Every time. What He scored, 
we scored. And so this morning we come back again, week 42, into the book of Romans, and we are in chapter number 6. And to make sure that we don't miss any of the context this morning, I'm going to read verse 1 to verse 11. And we're going to cover, in particular, verses 8 through 11. So if you would, open your scriptures with me. Romans chapter 6, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. And I just want to tell you, that anointing oil is straight wrecking my nose. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How could we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, or his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Amen? We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. This week's text. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives to God. He lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. Church, let's pray and then we're going to dive right in. Father, we pray that today you would illuminate the scriptures That in your word today, as we study it, that God, that you would have your way in us, through us. That God, we would give you the permission to correct, to reprove, to rebuke. And that Lord, that you would just have your way in this space and in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The focal point of Romans chapter 6 is... Um, we discussed the last two weeks, really centers around the idea of sanctification. And if you say, man, I, I have no idea what you just said, that's cool. We're going we're to help you out here. In, in the process of our walk with Christ, we find three different modes that we go through. When a person who accepts Jesus as Lord, they are justified. And justified happens at the rate that I just clap my hands. We are justified. It is a momentary happening, instant thing. Which means, as we covered in chapter 5, if you weren't a part of us, God looks at us just as if we've never sinned. God sees us not for our old wretched self, but we are made perfect, not in our image, but in the image of Christ. Then in chapter 6, what we find is Paul moves on from talking about justification to the second process and the second journey here in this photo, the, the second man in the Christian life, into a process called sanctification. Sanctification happens from the moment that we come to saving knowledge of Jesus until the moment that we die. 
What sanctification means in basic form is that we would grow in Christ-likeness. That we become more like Jesus tomorrow than we were the day before. And then our life is ended one day when our lights are going to go out and we will be glorified in the same instant just like we were justified. We will be glorified coming just like the resurrected Jesus where our body is completely made new. Really cool process. And so what we find is chapter 6 is Paul's question, this one overarching question that he asks. What is the proper response to grace for a Christian? What is the proper response to grace as a Christian? Because what we found is in chapter 5, specifically in verse 20, Paul creates this tension saying, what shall we um, where grace, I mean, where sin abounds, where sin grows, grace abounds all the more. It says grace is mightier or grace is stronger than sin is essentially what he's saying. And so he says, what now is the proper response because we have this strong, mighty grace? And chapter 6 is dealing with that. Paul is essentially saying to us, hey, you can't live however you want. That's not a way of a redeemed mind. That's not the path that the redeemed mind thinks. No, we are to be sanctified. We are to be set apart and to become more like Christ every day. And so we come to verse 6, I mean, uh, uh, verse 8 here in chapter number 6. We, and he asks this question, now if we have died with Christ, or makes a statement, now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Last week, Pastor A.B., did this incredible job. I mean, he killed it out of the, he knocked it out of the park. He had like a um, dead man stand up here, the skeleton. If you didn't watch that, you should really go watch it. It's funny. It's funny watching Carl pack it around, actually. Um, that was the funniest part. Um, but the main point of last week's message was this. No, we are new. No, we are new. And, and essentially what, what he's getting at, and the meaning is, is don't be haunted by who you were. Be happy with who you're becoming. Don't be haunted by your past. Because when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't remember the old man or woman that you used to be. He, you won't find when you get into the great right uh, judgment room that, that he's accusing you for things he's already forgiven you for. Because Christ has taken our place. Our sins, our shame has been nailed to the cross on our behalf. And so we need to know that we are new. We need to be reminded that we are new. Because how many of you woke up today and were just kind of like Eeyore? I'm just the same old person. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you, you're, you're beaten down by what life has been throwing at you. I, I asked this question, and I want you to think about it. How many of us in this room are still in our grave clothes? How many of us are still living in the bondage of the grave. How many of us are still stuck in the same place that we were prior to us coming to know Christ? How many of us have a mindset of a mummy in the grave? How many of us are wearing our grave clothes? We're stuck in that mindset saying, I mess up everything. One moment you feel like, man, you got all your ducks in the row. And the next moment, maybe this is what you say to yourself. I, 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 my ducks are absolutely not in a row. I don't even know where all of them are. And I'm pretty sure one of them is a pigeon. 
How many of you identify like this? Right? I, I feel this way too. But can we all be honest that that's a grave-bound mindset? Stuck at the cross, only at the cross, at the place where death happens, and not at the tomb where resurrection occurs. So many of us in our walk with Christ are still at the cross. Don't get me wrong, the cross was the supreme price that was paid out for us. But the story doesn't end at the cross. Our victory isn't at the cross. Because without the resurrection, the cross is meaningless. How many of us are living in our resurrected mindset? How many of us are, 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 are wrestling with that thing every day where we are empowered through the resurrection? And so today, I mean, you're going to hear me say this a hundred times in hopes that you embrace this particular point. Put on your new self. Embrace resurrection. We need to be reminded to put on this new identity that Christ has given us and to embrace the resurrection power that lives inside of us. Come to verse 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. No, or death no longer has dominion over him. I want you to notice what Paul says there. He says, we know. Right? We know. Paul doesn't leave the door open for oppositions. Paul doesn't leave the door open for objections. No, all of Christianity, every single thing, hinges upon this one fact, this one thing, and that is that Christ Jesus was resurrected on the third day. All of it. Everything. It all hinges on this. He was not a ghost. Jesus wasn't a resurrected ghost. He wasn't an aberration. He wasn't some moving ethereal thing. No, it was a physical bodily resurrection. The physical man Jesus came back to life. And it is critical that we grasp that from a theological standpoint. We can never ever surrender to the idea that it was ghost Jesus that came back. It had to be a physical manifestation of flesh and blood. And all of the Gospels, the book of Acts, and all of the teachings of the apostles pinge on this one thing because they continually speak of it. They speak from a position of knowledge. They don't say, hey, we believe, we have faith that. No, no, no. They speak from absolute certainty that Jesus was resurrected because without the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, everything is meaningless, as Paul tells us. We are a people to be most pitied. Why? Because we're still in our sins. Because the resurrection is God the Father's stamp of approval on the redeeming work of Christ on the cross. I'm going to say that again. The resurrection is God the Father's stamp of approval on the redeeming work of Christ on the cross. If Jesus did not rise, we're all on a pit or all on a path to hell. No way around that. If Jesus did not physically raise from the dead, we're all on a path to hell. Christ's resurrection was not just a simple coming back from the dead 
like others in the New Testament experience. For example, we find um, Lazarus in John chapter 12, or John chapter 11. Um, what happens is, is Lazarus dies and they send word to Jesus and his disciples, hey, Lazarus is sick, come heal him. Because they knew Jesus had that special sauce when it came to healing people. All right? And so they reach out to Jesus, and Jesus intentionally, I want you to check this out, Jesus intentionally waits for dude to die. Okay? That's funny, man. I don't care who you are. Like, Jesus is like, I'm about to show up and show out. But I love the King James Version. I always say this because it says that Jesus arrives, and, and Lazarus had been dead for a few days, and it, the King James exp- explicitly says, or the King Jimmy, in case you haven't been around here, explicitly says, he stinketh, talking about Lazarus. And that's critical for us to understand because what we know is because it says he stinketh, he wasn't alive, man. His body was decaying. He smelled terrible. But Jesus calls forth Lazarus from the tomb, and he comes out in his gray clothes. Like, hey, somebody unwrap me kind of thing. But the resurrection of Jesus is fundamentally different from the resurrection of Lazarus. I want you to hang out with me here. Jesus rose from the dead, and his resurrection was a completely new kind of human life in which that Jesus had a perfected body and was no longer subject to weakness, aging, death, or decay. When Jesus rose from the dead, he had a body that would live eternally. For Jesus, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, had put on the incorruptible. He had put on immortality. Jesus was the perfect summation of human life. Unlike Lazarus, Jesus does not die again. Jesus does not die again. He has conquered death once and for all. Death no longer has claim to his body. So here's what I want you to understand. There is a fundamental difference between the resurrection of Lazarus and the resurrection of Jesus. Okay? So I'm going to touch on this. I'm going to tell you something funny Molly said to me last night. And when we think about this, Jesus was raised in a form that would not decay. Lazarus was raised in a form that would decay. Lazarus was raised to die again, as Carl said last night in our group chat. But Jesus was resurrected to live forever. You know, last night, Molly and I, we were, we were wrestling with us, trying to put the finishing touches, and she helps me, and I send it out to the pastor team, and we're trying to wrestle with a few things that were in the text here. And Molly says, you know, we sing this song sometimes here at rest, and maybe you've been around, and we were like, uh, you know, uh, rise up like Lazarus. And she was like, I don't want to be rose like Lazarus. I want to be rose like Jesus. She's like, I can't ever sing that song again. But it's so true that there is a fundamental difference between the resurrection of Lazarus, in which he will die again, and he does die again. We know that. And the resurrection of Jesus, where he is the perfect summation of humankind. Go with me to verse 10. For the death he died to sin, once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 10 is kind of the summation of, Verse 5, 
and verse 9 kind of all put together. And he makes this statement, for the death he died to sin. Christ came forth. He was sent by the Father for one reason, to be the ransom for many, to bring those who were far close to himself, to redeem those who could not redeem themselves, which is all of us. Death has no claim on Christ ever again. It has no power over Jesus as it has over us. And since that is true of him, church, this is the part you need to grasp. Since that is true of Jesus, it's true of us. While we might still right now in this place have this vagabond, these bag of bones that are corrupted, that will one day die, if we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, if we have professed Jesus as Lord, one day, like Jesus, we will take on the incorruptible. We will become like Jesus, perfect in every way. And that's what Paul is trying to convey here, is that the life that he lived, he died once, like we will die once. But as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus was the first fruits, meaning he was the tithe, he was the first thing that was to come, and that we will follow just like him, that one day we will be resurrected to newness of life and to the summation of perfection just like Jesus. Consequently, all who look to Jesus will be born again to this new living hope. Christ earned for us a new Life that is like his own. Although our, our bodies are not yet perfected, our spirits have already been made alive with this resurrection power. And, and that's, the, that's the message I want to say to you, is you have resurrection power inside of you. And, and I know maybe, maybe you grew up in a, in a different kind of background, and you're like, get that charismatic junk away from me. Like you hear that, you hear somebody say, you got that resurrection power in you. And you're just like, I, I don't know what to do with that. How many, how many of you grew up in a church background like that? It's like anything like that, no, that's not me, that's not me, that's not me. Can I tell you, you're missing the anointing that the scriptures declare we have. The apostles didn't go around living in their grave clothes. They walked around knowing that because the Holy Spirit lived inside of them, they had the same power that the Holy Spirit had. I want you to think about that. There's a reason Jesus says to his followers, you will do even greater things than I. And if we were to look at the, the list of things Jesus did, water into wine, walking on water, Raising dead people, greater things. So are we limiting our power? Are we taking that valve and throttling it back? You know, one time, I remember this <laughs> as if it were yesterday. You guys have met our pastor, the pastor team's pastor, our mentor, but I remember even in youth group, he made this analogy one day. Charles Frank, maybe you remember this. But he says, God wants to pour out his blessing and his power on us. And he's sitting here and he's like, man, I want to pour it out. But the whole time, we're clasping around his hands and saying, no, Jesus, I just want a few drops. 
And he's just, he's, he just wants to pour it out right over top of us. And we're holding his hand saying, no, Jesus, I'm fine with just the drops. And he's like, no, but do you, do you understand the power that I can give to you? Do you understand the anointing that I can put on your life? Do you understand the favor that I can give to you? Do you understand the joy that you can have in your present circumstance? And we're going, no, Jesus, I'm cool with just a few drops. I'm cool with just a few drops. Is that you? Is that you? Is that where we're at as a church? That we're, that we're saying to the world, I'm cool with a few drops. And because I'm cool with a few drops, I can't be a blessing to my brother and sister. I can't meet the need of those who are around me. I can't stand in the gap when they need help. I can't hold them up because I'm not being held up by the Holy Spirit. Are we saying to Jesus, just a few drops? Just a few drops. And so, if I can say it again to you, put on your new self. Embrace resurrection, church. Put on your new self and embrace resurrection. Verse 11, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. When a Christian recognizes rightly who they are. They are empowered to give battle to sin, to live in pursuit of righteousness, which is our true spiritual condition. In simple terms, our connection with Christ's death and new life means we need to see ourselves no longer as controlled by sin, but alive and connected to God through Christ. You are dead to your sin. It is no longer your master. It might still call you by name, but it is absolutely not your master. Why do we need to see ourselves this way? It's kind of like having this special trust fund. You have millions, if not billions of dollars in the bank. But if you don't go access that trust fund, it doesn't change anything about your life. If you don't go to the bank and set up an automatic draw, if you're not going there to get the money out of it, it is meaningless. It is just money in the bank. And so what I'm saying to you is that we have a trust fund. We have a trust fund in the Holy Spirit. We have a, a residual overflow of empowerment at the bank. But we got to make the effort to go to the bank. We got to go to the anointing. We got to go to the source in order that we might have it bless our lives. And so I'm asking you point blank right now, are you going to the bank? How often are you going to access the funds of the empowerment that's given to us by the resurrection? Or are you just hanging out in your sin? Are you just okay? So this, is the, this is the key thing. Is it's not enough for it to be true in theory, church. It's not enough for it to be true in theory. We have to apply it to our lives in order for us to experience the freedom that it brings. 
It's not enough to just go, yeah, I know that story is there. I know that He has promised to give me power and authority in Acts 1.8 so that I can go to all the world, to Judea, Samaria, and baptize people and make disciples. I know that's what His Scripture says. It's not enough to think about it in theory. We have to live it out in application. We have to plug into the power source so that it can redeem our lives, so that we can be empowered to do the things the Holy Spirit has called for us to do. So by counting ourselves dead to sin, we are actively claiming and living out the privileges that we have in Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a pastor who I, I love to listen to. He was a Welsh pastor in the 20th century. He makes this vivid depiction of our condition and how that we were stuck in this mindset by looking at the tragic mental and emotional struggle that the former slaves in America had post the emancipation. He said this, consider the situation of those who were once enslaved in the United States about a century ago. They lived in a state of bondage, but when the American Civil War happened, it led to the abolition of slavery. Despite being legally set free, many of the older slaves who had endured years of servitude struggled to grasp their newfound freedom. Although they heard the news of their abolition, their freedom, in their daily lives, they often failed to comprehend it. When faced with their former masters, they would still have a PTSD-type mindset and have this fear of being sold. He points back and he says this illustration, it points to a critical point. You can still feel like a slave to your sin even if you are no longer legally bound. The same principle applies to us. God's word tells us that if we are in Christ, we are no longer under the control of sin. We've moved from the realm of Adam to the freedom found in Christ. Yet even with this liberation, even with this knowledge, we sometimes still fall in sin. We sometimes royally mess up because why? What is the reason that we do that? Somebody tell me the secret. It's because we fail to recognize who we truly are in Christ. So the key is to recognize who we are, embrace our identity with Christ. And we, we can't just think about it theoretically, but we need to let it impact our life. We need to acknowledge it, believe it, and live it out. We need to put on our new self and embrace the resurrection of Christ in our lives. Thank God for His resurrection in us. And the fact, just like Luther said, he draws straight lines with crooked sticks. Our God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. The, this resurrection power helps us live lives that we were made to live. It gives us the power to gain more and more victory in our lives. Because of this resurrection, church, we can consider ourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ through God the Father on our behalf. Now, do, do you catch that? You can consider yourself dead to sin, not because of you, but because of him. Jesus did not die, rise from the dead, 
for us to live defeated lives. Jesus did not come. He didn't take the cat of nine tails and to be whipped over and over, marred beyond recognition, to get up on that tree from the tree he created and to pour out his blood, to go to the grave and to go and conquer hell and death on our behalf and to be resurrected on the third day for us to just be like, meh, okay, that's great. I want to be more like Jesus. Just like Jesus. That's not what the Scriptures show us. If we read the book of Acts, man, we don't see that kind of church. We don't see dead people just hanging out. Man, we see them doing crazy, awesome, radical things. They believed in the power of the resurrection. And so I ask you today, do you believe in that power? And, and, and man, chances are, you're probably hearing me and you're just like, Oh, that's Cody. Oh, that's Cody. He's just up there, you know. Ah, He'll be done in a minute. He'll be done in a minute. I rebuke you. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I rebuke your your pharmaceutical spirit that's inside of you. Because we are missing the anointing of God in this church because of our pessimism. We're missing the anointing of God on our families because of this pessimism. We're missing God's blessing in so many areas because we're content to just show up, sing a few songs, and go on about our business. Let that never be the cry of Rest Church. Let us be shaken to our core and let us call for God's fire to fall upon this place. I don't want a dead gospel because it's not found in the scriptures. I want one that invades my life, that shakes me and sifts me like wheat, that pulls out the chaff that's inside of me and lets it burn, and that calls me to live in a place that I am uncomfortable, that calls me to live in a place that I am completely surrendered because I know at that beautiful intersection, God will do amazing things. Come on! So what does it mean? You might hear me and you're just like, ah, rah, 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 rah. what does that mean? Tell me what, what to do. What does it mean to put on the new self and embrace resurrection? It's funny you should ask. Paul wrote about this. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, he says this. If you have been raised with Christ, let's read this next part together. Give me my scripture. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. In case we missed it in verse 1. Verse 2, let's read this next part that's underlined together. Set your mind on things that are above. Not on the things that are on earth. For if you have died, your life is hidden where? In Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So if there's one thing 
that we need to do in order to embrace this new life, in order to embrace this new place and embrace resurrection. What do we need to do? We need to set our minds on the things that are above. To set our minds on the things that are above. So how can we live this out? How do we practically make this happen? Number one, church, number one, seek the will of God. Seek the will of God. This is not a passive endeavor. It is not a passive endeavor. Because what, what, what I hear so many Christians do is there is a need. There is something that is absolutely a gap or a need in a body of faith or in their community. And what they do is someone might approach them or they know about it. They'll sit back and be like, well, I'm just praying. Just praying about it. Just asking the Lord if that's what he wants me to do. Just praying about it. May we have the faith of Abraham. God said to him, go into a a land in which I will show you. You know what this compass said? It said, go. It said, go. So many of us are, we're waiting around. We got our phone out. We're like, hey, uh, uh, Siri, um, uh, can, can, you, um, can you give me directions? Can you give me directions to nowhere? See? Say, Siri, can you, can you tell me where God has called me to go? And the truth is, we're missing our opportunity to serve. We're missing the will of God because we're so indecisive. And, 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 and the reality is, is what I see in the Scripture so often, more than the opposite, is that God is saying to us, go until I tell you to stop. God wants us to be in obedience where we take the first foot and we move it forward. To seek the will of God, it is not a passive endeavor. And here's the next thing. It's not about your fulfillment. Well, I just don't feel called to serve in that place. It just doesn't bring me joy, Pastor. It just, you know, I just leave there and I'm so exhausted, Pastor. That's just not where God wants me. Do you think that Paul felt called to a Roman jail? Do you think the night that Paul and Silas were in jail and they had just been whipped, they had just been beating, beaten, and the scriptures say that they're singing hymns and songs, they're celebrating that they have had, they've been found worthy enough to be beaten for the gospel. Do you think that they stood up one day and said, yeah, I'll I'll take a few lashings. I want that. that. That's what I choose. The calling of God in our life isn't about our fulfillment sometimes. And I'm going to be super transparent with you. So transparent. God called me to pastor. But there are many days I despise If I'm being honest with you, the last two weeks have been absolute beatings. Be-
beatings. But what I know is that when He puts me in the furnace and He pulls me out, I will be better because of it. So don't miss your blessing. Don't miss the will of God that He's put on your life just because it doesn't fulfill you. Wake up and rebuke yourself like David said and say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. He's commanding his soul, even when you don't feel like it, get up and say, God, I bless you. Even when your circumstances are beating you down, God, I bless you. God, I present myself to you. You do with me as you will. God, I am your humble servant. You do with me as you will. If you want to set your mind on the things that are above, seek the will of God. Second, and man, oh my goodness, if these next two things, if they're not a test in, in humility, they're not going to test you in your pride, man, it, it, number two is gratitude practice. Gratitude practice. Dwell on the good because the reality is the mind moves to the most powerful thought. And so if you set and you stew in your anger, you set and you stew in all the things that might go wrong in your world, that drive you to anxiety, it will consume you. It will absolutely consume you. That's why the scriptures say that we are to, can, we are to count our blessings. You remember the old song, the old hymn? Count your, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. You know what happens when we practice gratitude, we start to see that we actually got it pretty good. We start to see how good God has blessed us. And we, we, we start to do that, that, that cause and effect, that Venn diagram, or we start to do a pro-con list, and we find out that, man, God has blessed us so much more than we deserve. There's so much to be thankful for. Practice gratitude. Make it the constant theme of your morning when you wake up say God thank you for all of these gifts man you got family you got people who call you you got a wife you got a wife who drives you crazy say Lord thank you for my crazy wife because I know my wife she says every day thank you for my crazy ridiculous over the top exuberant ultra stressful husband God equipped us to be together and he's done the same for you so be thankful practice gratitude and this last one man if you want something to hinder your prayers if you want something to hinder your life it's this one area God has called us to move in mercy forgive often and promote restoration and man if there is a place that the modern day church absolutely stinks at it's this How many people do you know who have left this church or left another church or whatnot? And they, for, they, they basically said, I'm never speaking to those people ever again. I can't speak to those people, man. They just, they make me so angry. Oh, they hurt me so bad. Point that out in the scriptures for me. Show me where that was okay. The American church doesn't pray effective prayers because we don't move in mercy. 
Because the scriptures actually directly tell us that that affects our effectiveness in prayer. And so I'm asking you today, if you want to set your mind on things above, you're probably someone who you got beef with right now. And God is telling you to be in the business of dealing with your beef. So that you can pray effective prayers. So that you can live an upright life. So that you can embrace resurrection in your life. Move in mercy. Seek restoration. Make it be upon them for the reason why you can't find restoration, not because of you. And so this morning, as, as, as I ask you so plainly, will you put on your new self? Will you put your mind on the things that are above? Will you embrace the resurrection power that Jesus has given you?